Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, our senses are at the heart of how we navigate the world and they combine in lots of different ways to relay what's going around us and what's within us. But when you stop to think about the level of complexity involved in putting all of this together in your brain, how we turn smell, sight, taste, touch and hearing into perception, well, it's fascinating. And that's just the traditional five senses. There are so many more. Ashley Ward is a professor in animal behavior at the University of Sydney and author of Sensational, a new story of our senses. He joins me now. Uh, hello, uh, Ashley. This is a, a subject that I'm always very fascinated by, the, the, how we perceive the world. Um, talk to me a little bit about how our, our sense of perception has developed. Um, what, what is a sense? That's a really good question, Jonathan. Um, thanks for having me on. So there are a number of different definitions that we can use to describe what we mean when we, we're talking about a sense. But in the simplest possible terms, I guess it's a facility that involves a specific receptor, for something that's in the outside world, generally speaking. And that receptor will then have a direct communication uh, with the brain. There are sorts of, there are a few kind of senses which live on the borderline of that. Maybe they have some kind of receptor but no obvious path to the brain or you know things like that but but generally speaking things like sight or, or taste or smell they have specific receptors and this pathway to the brain and we can identify those we can look at the biology of of a of, a, of an animal and see that these sensors whether they're in our tongue or in our eyes uh, actually turn stimuli in the world outside us and, and turn them into some sort of electrical signal. But that, that's not the case for all of our senses. Is that correct? Is there a sensor for all of the senses beyond those easy ones that we figured out a long time ago? Well, that's right. Yeah. So it was Aristotle who first put the number out there that there were five senses. Um, and since then, we've come a long way in trying to sort of understand what we mean by a sense and to actually count up the number of senses that we have. And uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, given that this is, is science, it's, be, it's been a matter of, of some debate. Uh, some people still cleave to the idea that there are relatively few, possibly more than five, but, but say less than 10. And there are other people who insist that there are anything up to 50 or even 60 different senses. Um, it really wow. depends how you categorize these things. <laughs> um, there well, are senses, of course, that we don't have. Um, and I guess we would include those two potentially in any list of the senses. So um, if we go if, uh, beyond five, are, are there like a, a handful of really strong candidates for, for those? <laughs> and do they have specific sensors in the body? What, what, what would be uh, beyond five? What are the ones that people would say, look, that is a sense and there's genu genuine scientific um, agreement on? Yeah, well, one of them um, is certainly present in animals and may be present in us, and that's magnetoception, the ability to detect the uh, Earth's magnetic field, um, there is some evidence, although it's not completely accepted by everybody, that we can um, tell the Earth's magnetic field, but certainly many animals can. So that would be one example. But my favorite, I think, is what we call interoception. Now, when we're talking about the, 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 the five senses, the, the, the ones that we learn at school, we're thinking about getting information from the outside world into our bodies. Hmm. But all the time that that's happening, our brain is also collecting information from our bodies, from within our bodies. So we have a sense, we have sensors sensor dedicated to whether we're hungry, for instance, or thirsty. 
And these are, are really our senses in the truest sense. So this is all forms under the umbrella of what we call interoception. Well, well I mean, the hunger one, is that not a, a physical sensor that we were sensing, or is it a chemical sensor? Like when you say that's a sense in the true sense of the word, like, um, is it not a lack of food that it's it's sensing or how how, how would we classify the sensor for, for, for hunger, for example? Yeah, it's not as clear cut as, as we might say for, for vision or something like that. It's basically the presence of metabolites or, or lack thereof in the in the system. That's what the brain's picking up on. But the brain is, is very consciously aware of this. And also the really interesting thing about the senses is as you said in your introduction, none of these sort of stand alone. Our perception comes from a mix of different things. So let's say from hunger, we have intensified senses of smell and of taste. So you know when, you, when you're super hungry, first thing in the morning, you maybe go to the coffee shop and the coffee shop smells fantastic. <laughs> so that's the way the senses interact in, in that sense as, as well. So, but yes, it's this, this, our sense of hunger isn't as clear-cut, for, for sure. Interceptive senses aren't always as clear-cut. But it's, this is one of the senses that um, people are describing when they're tossing up something north of 50. Um, do um, our senses develop in the human body at the same time, or do we get a very keen sense of smell before we can see, or is hearing the first thing to develop? Do we know? Yeah, we do, actually. We know that touch is the very first sense that we develop. And there are some amazing pictures of fetuses in their mother's womb um, exploring their surroundings um, in much the same way you know we might do as adults if we were in a say a darkened room with with, with no other means of exploring it. Um, and some of the most amazing research actually has come from twins. When you have two twins uh, inside their mother's body, they spend an awful lot of time exploring each other with touch. So touch is the first sense to develop. We are capable of vision while still in the womb, but in a very rudimentary way, a very different way to the way that perhaps you and I are experiencing the world now. But there's some really interesting studies which have shown that, you know the way that we can see faces in the clouds and things like that? Um, we see a certain configuration of something that looks roughly like two eyes above a mouth. And we're attuned to that because you know evolution has equipped us in that way. Yeah. But if you just shine a pattern of lights onto um, the belly of a, a pregnant woman, um, in the configuration of a face, the fetus takes a lot of notice of that, more notice no. than random configuration. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's the thing about the senses, Jonathan, that the more you learn about it, the more fascinating it becomes. It's all these kinds of extraordinary details. Surely some of our senses are very subjective, though, or, or at least our perception of them are. I mean, when it comes Absolutely. to something like smell, you know, once we take away the other senses, like when we cannot see the food, it becomes very difficult to know what we're eating sometimes. And I'm wondering, is that is that the same for everybody? Do we all experience our senses in the same way? No, absolutely we don't. I think, and, and here's the point. This may be an exaggeration on my part, but I don't think it is. Based on my calculations of the genetic variability and experiential variability between us, I think it's fair to say that each person on Earth not only experiences the world differently to everybody else who's currently on Earth, but probably does so differently to anybody else who's ever lived. So we're all completely unique. That said, however, there's a lot of overlap between us. So, for instance, you know, we might both look at a tomato and agree that it's red. 
we don't actually know whether we're both experiencing the same thing. You mentioned smell. Um, it's estimated that you could pick any two people randomly from the population and their sense of smell will differ by about 30%. Yeah, so when, when, we, when we disagree on something that, the way that something smells, it's not just a difference of opinion, it's really a difference of experience as well. So just to clarify, when you say they di disagree by up to 30%, what does that mean, they disagree? Oh, they, sorry, they, 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 identify, they identify smells <laughs> differently or they... No, it's, sorry, no, this is to do with their equipment. So we've got approximately 400 smell receptors, smell receptor types. But because of the genetic variability which is associated with our olfactory sense, um, everybody has, is equipped with a different kind of range and, and proportion of, of, of these different receptors. So our, in, in terms of our, our, our sort of our hardware, we're, diff we're differing by about 30%. And the chances are that gives us a difference in perception, which is substantial as well, although that's much, much harder to measure. You know, I can't sell what, say whether I'm 30% similar to you in, in terms of what I actually smell, because again, mm. that's in our minds. But here's the, here's the weird thing with that. You'd imagine, wouldn't you, that with a smell of something like coffee mentioned before or, or orange, that those people in the world who are familiar with these things would be able to identify them in a blind smell test. Yeah. And yet in a study which was done on American undergrads, you know, blind smells, what's this smell that you've got here? Given a, a, a vial of coffee to smell, only, only one in four of them got it right. What? <laughs> Which is like, I know, and only one in one in five got the orange right. Now, I I don't mean to uh, belittle or demean Americans in any way, but I don't think that's specific to Americans at all. Although there must be some cultural differences where people's um, senses have been heightened for whatever reasons. Whether you know, if you were in uh, a world of conflict, the, the you know being more sensitive to movement or noise or gunfire might make you more attuned to certain sort of sounds. Uh, if we are you know if you're living in a world of intense aromas such as uh, you know the markets of Morocco every day, surely that will have an effect on your ability to identify smells and flavors. I mean, is, is that ever been me measured? Yeah, I mean that's an excellent point, Jonathan. And so that in in what we broadly call the West, the sense of smell has long been relegated to among the lesser important of the senses. You know, we're we're visual creatures. Where we we use our ears, we use our eyes, and, and we use our other senses to a, to a lesser degree, or, or at least it was thought. And also with smell, there's been this kind of I don't know this this this, this kind of diminution of, of smell in, and, and likening it to, to kind of being more animal-like in, in one of the senses. And so since most of the world's scientists, at least in early days, came from the West, that gave rise to this idea that, that smell really isn't that important for humans, that we're poor hmm. at smell, that it's, it's a basal uh, and, and fairly pointless sense. And yet when we expanded, when researchers expanded their field of view beyond people in Quite the Europeans West. yeah yeah exactly to, to beyond Europeans started to look at um, other societies they found that native peoples in the in the America the Amazon basin uh, in the Andaman Islands and in parts of Asia who were living essentially a hunter-gatherer lifestyle not only are much much better at smell but for them smell is critically important um, mm. they tell the times of their year by the smells um, that are around they treat smell with a, a degree of reverence and 
just like you kind of suggested, their extra reliance on smell has made them extremely good at smell. So it becomes a positive feedback uh, loop. What's going on in the brain when these senses overlap? Uh, I'm talking of people who can taste names or see time as a physical thing or perceive it in that way. Because, you know, when we think of our sensors for these things, you know, uh, our eyes are a, a separate part of our body to uh, our tongue. And yet sometimes these sensations can be mixed up in perception for, for people who have different, um, you wouldn't say disorders, but different um, ways of perceiving the world. Absolutely, yeah. So these people, sometimes we refer to them as synesthetes. Um, and they have kind of perceptual echoes in one sense that start off in another sense. So that, so they they maybe hear some music and then they experience a taste or something like that. Yeah. Um, and for the longest time, as you imply, it was seen as basically a disorder, some kind of problem. But in actual fact, they've been the key to understanding the, the senses um, to a much, much greater degree. So, for instance, how we think it develops is that the different parts of the brain that specialize in different senses when we're very young when we're you know before we're born whilst the brain is developing these areas are very very strongly connected to one another and as part of the development process the connections between these areas get pared down not they never get completely cut but they get pared down in uh, people who aren't synesthetes but when people are synesthetes it's thought that these connections remain they aren't pared away by the by the body so the senses in synesthetes are much more strongly connected, which means that when they experience something in one sense, it more, ra- it, it more readily and more rapidly transfers across to uh, a perception in, in an entirely different sense. Hmm. And the other really interesting thing about synesthetes is that this isn't a random thing. You know, um, let's say somebody sees a name and, and, and or sees a letter and gets the perception of a color at the same time. That won't be a different color every time they hear that name. It'll be the same color that's associated with that. So that it's it's yeah. not just some kind of uh, f- strange phantasmagoria. It re- it really is a a genuine thing, which I think is so fascinating. No, I I, I totally understand because one of the first um, synesthetes I ever interviewed was a guy called Daniel Tamat, who's an uh, autistic savant. And he was able to take enormous numbers um, in his mind that had colors and he could mix the two ah. colors in his head like a palette and give Amazing. you the answer of a multiplication or division or whatever, and a, an extraordinary mathematical talent. But also how he did it was just really uh, uh, absolutely fascinating. So what about um, in people where these senses um, disappear, you know, obviously we know what happens when it comes to the five senses, but with something like proprioception, where someone loses the sense of where their body is in, in space or losing the sense of hunger or losing uh, a sense of time. What, what, um, what can we do about that? And, and, and I mean, they must make very interesting use cases, but, but can we help those people? So it's, it's kind of frustrating and it's also kind of exciting um, a period in science right now. You know, we can find gravitational waves in deep space we can understand potentially how the universe began um we can develop a a, a vaccine for covid from scratch in in mere, mere months and yet we don't know how the sense of smell works um we've got a long way to go um when somebody loses proprioception um that's the, there's some really interesting cases where where this has actually happened 
And sadly, as things stand, there's very little we can do for those people because once those pathways have, have broken down, um, they're very difficult to recover. You know, nervous regeneration is a, a famously fraught um, field of, 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 in terms of the progress we've been able to make in it. Yeah, you've got sort of two categories there when it comes to proprioception, don't you? You have um, amputees who still sense their limb as, as yes. being there, and then you have people yeah. who who, who um, are in this very narrow group of, of individuals who, who suffer from body identity disorder, where they sometimes um, try to remove parts of their body that they believe yes. shouldn't be there, which, which, you know, when you think about someone voluntarily amputating a healthy part of their body because they feel that it shouldn't be there, that... that proprioception has gone horribly wrong i mean that's that's an awful situation to be in but but there's it's very difficult to sort of trick the body back into um but believing what it should absolutely and anatomically there's very little you can do i think in those cases uh, the root cause is is psychological um there has been some progress made with uh, phantom limb pain you know that the pain that amputees feel even following the um, amputation of a limb um and, and that's basically by fully anesthetizing the area some time before the amputation takes place. So there's no sort of pain memory in the brain from that particular right. area of the body. Oh, that's um, clever, yeah, we, yeah. I heard of other work um, using VR to sort of re, um, replace the hand um, oh, in, in VR, sort of add a, a fake VR arm where the arm is supposed to be, um, or even using something as simple as a mirror to to mirror the hand so it looks like the, the hand is there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a long way to go and, and figuring out how we understand perception is really, um, it's really a, a, a very long road, isn't it? It is one of the last frontiers, I think, in science, one of the last great frontiers in science. We, we you know, perception and, and closely followed on after that, um, the, the mystery of, of consciousness, um, I think are, are two of the most fascinating areas that remain to us, yeah. Well, the book is called Sensational, A New Story of Our Senses, and it explores how we got our senses and the weird science that is trying to figure out how to untangle them. Ashley Ward is the author. Ashley, thanks for your time. Thank you very much indeed, Jonathan. Future Proof with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland. Sunday morning at 10 on News Talk.